0: This, being, uh, this week being the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Do you know that? 500 years ago, 1517, uh, Martin Luther inaugurated uh, the Protestant, Revo- uh, Protestant Reformation uh, on October 31st. Uh, so we, we celebrate Halloween, but it's actually also, and for, perhaps more importantly, um, the moment that the Protestant Reformation began. I don't know if you're uh, like me, but boy, I feel like we could use another Reformation, and and quickly. Um, I I sense, and and it could I could be wrong, but but maybe you've sensed it too. I sense uh, a, a lethargy in the church, uh, not at coast, but um, broadly in the Western Church. I, I sense a kind of cultural drift that's happening. I sense uh, a, a sense in which uh, the church is either like kind of just sort of over here, and the culture is off doing its own thing. Interestingly, when the Protestant Reformation happened, uh, when the church uh, split and reformed and all of that, uh, the culture came with it. It was, a, it was a tremendous religious revival in especially northern Europe, Germany, um, the Nordic countries, other places. And boy, I feel like, I sense that we could really use that right now. I, I don't know if you pay attention to the news, but I mean, every day it's like... It's crazy what, what goes on in, in our government, our media, um, Hollywood, all these places. I keep looking and, and, and just being honestly dispirited, really hurt, like, what's going on with this place? What's going on in Western civilization? But I do believe that God is real. I believe that God can do things. I believe that God could make something happen. I believe He could light a fire. And, I'm, and if you're like me, you want to know what do we got to do right now to be a part of that. To be a part of of a change, a shift, a cultural and, and, and spiritual and religious reformation again. Another one, 500 years later, after Martin Luther inaugurated the first, that we could be a part of a second. It could happen here in this place, in our families amongst us. That it could spread from here That there's other places perhaps uh, outside of Orange County, other churches and other communities that could be involved in this. And that if we all were were doing this together, that suddenly God might light a spark. The Spirit might move powerfully and and, and change the the rot and change the drift. That's the question um, I hope will animate us today. What do we have to do? What can we do right now to be a part to help start the next reformation? And in order to, to, to get to that, I, I would like us to think about uh, the first Reformation. Um, the first one. And, and if you don't know, uh, you, the Reformation began when uh, Martin Luther, uh, he went to, to the church that, he, he, um, that was connected to the school where he was teaching in Wittenberg, and he, uh, he nailed the 95 theses. The 95 theses, that's a picture of uh, all saints at Wittenberg. That's the door. I mean, they've probably replaced it in the 500 years since, but that's the place where he hammered that sucker up. And if if you think about what the Reformation was about, some of the the slogans that came out of the Reformation, does anyone know like some of the big slogans or things that were a big part of the, the Reformation, things that people hung their hat on? Like, this is what the Reformation's about. Does anybody know anything like that? Sola fide, faith alone, absolutely. Uh, we at Coast Bible Church confess that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. That's not, nothing you gotta do. There's nothing you've got to do. There's nothing that you have to do. And that's, that's in the 95 Theses, right? No. What else? What else? Um, uh, the Protestant Reformation, other cool things. Yes, Tori. No indulgence. Just- sh- shut your mouth. Wait. Wait till later. <laughs> Never call on the smart ones. It's a terrible choice. It'll show you up. I, what about the most the most important thing in the Protestant Reformation that uh, clergy can can marry? I mean, yay for me, right? Nobody. Okay. Well, that, that was a big thing. Uh a, a major a major shift um uh, uh sola scriptura, you know this one? The Bible alone. Up until the Protestant Reformation, uh people the the Catholic magisterium had kind of taken over the role of interpreting scripture for everybody. And and Luther said, "No, dude, check it out. We can read this book for ourselves. We can decide, we can understand what God has for us." Not the 95 theses. Nothing about marrying the clergy. Nothing interestingly about Mary veneration. Uh, it's a major split with the Protestant and Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church still uh, venerates Mary and asks Mary for intercession. Um, I went to Catholic high school and I still know Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord's with you, blah, 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 blah. I can say it. They made me have a rosary. I was like, I can't do this. They're like, You will have this rosary. I'm like, Thank you. Yeah. Um, all these tremendous changes that took place in the Reformation and not one of them, not one of them is, has anything to do with how it started. Uh, just to show you, I, um, I think I've got uh, some, some quotes here. Tori... This is uh this is thesis number thesis number 21 that uh it really gets to the meat. Luther says uh thus those indulgence preachers are in error who say that a man is absolved from every penalty and saved by papal indulgences. What? Indulgences. Yeah, if you don't know indul- uh, we got a picture here of uh of Tetzel. This is the guy who um Luther was really mad at. Um, this is a cool picture. So, indulgences, what happened was the Catholic Church decided, uh, based on the text that says, um, Jesus is talking to Peter, I think, before he leaves, and he's like, hey Peter, if you retain sins, they'll be retained. If you forgive them, they'll be forgiven. And the Catholic Church decided that the Pope had the right and the ability to forgive people's sins, to let them go. And what the Pope said was, that's a really cool deal. I'm glad I've got this power. I know what we need to do. We need to charge money for it. That'll really help, uh, that'll Look, uh, to be honest, I mean that's that's solid church economics. I mean, you think about that. It's like what? I mean, if I if I'm here, I mean, what what should I be doing other than like charging you to fix your guilt problem, right? Like, isn't that what we're doing? Like, doesn't that seem like I, I joke, but really, that's that's what was going on. The guilt problem was going to be solved, and you could you could just pay money, and you'd get these papal indulgences, which said that you were no longer responsible. Your your sin had been forgiven. So you could pay your way out of repentance. Really good deal for the rich folk. In fact, you could do more. You could pay your way out of purgatory. That was awesome. Purgatory is a place where people are tortured into goodness in the classic Roman Catholic theology. And so if you had Dirty Uncle Larry, who was a really bad guy, but he made a lot of money and you inherited it, you might be thankful to Larry. He was a terrible human being. He did awful stuff. He was unscrupulous. He was mean. He's sitting there in purgatory being tortured. And if you just took some of that money he gave you and gave it to a priest, well, then he could get freed up and, and, and released from purgatory. Really, really good deal for the rich. Notice um, in the picture, uh, the first off, there's that big treasure box where people are that's where they're going to put their money. And not only that, but all the people in line, notice uh, what's interesting about them. None of them are in peasants' rags. Right? This is a time uh, when you talk about economic inequality. Uh, 16th century Germany was about as... Uh, much further than anything we've experienced. Um, And and the people who are are there who are getting indulgences are wealthy people. They have nice clothes, and they've got caps and and, and boots. There's nobody in there who's wearing, you know, threadbare, thrifty stuff. And and Luther says this in uh, the 45th uh, thesis. He says, Christians are to be taught that he who sees a needy man and passes him by, yet gives his money for indulgences, does not buy people indulgences but God's wrath. What Luther had experienced, what he'd seen in the streets, is he'd seen wealthy people hoarding their money. So that there's beggars, people starving, and they would hoard it and keep from giving to charity because they need to save up to make sure they could pay for their sins, for their indulgences. And, and so what Luther saw was, was the, the poor um, of, of the of the area were where being passed over Um, and yet the church was being enriched and the priests were living the high life and the wealthy uh, were really enjoying themselves. And Luther's like, hey, does this seem like anything Jesus was about? He publishes the 95 theses. He's like, like, hey, uh, take a look. This is completely nuts. This is completely upside down. This makes no sense. Uh, The first thing in your note sheets is that the Reformation began because of moral corruption in church leaders. The Reformation didn't begin because of how Luther read Romans. It didn't begin because of sola fide or sola scriptura. In fact, none of that stuff would have happened if not for this. How crazy is it? I mean, listen, does this seem crazy? You get up there and you're like, hey, uh, Luther, uh, or hey, Catholic Church, maybe, maybe." uh, and by the way, just to be fair, the Catholic Church has done some amazing things in changing this, but at the time, it was very corrupt. Uh, Luther is like, this should be a no-brainer. And yet, and yet, he says this, and you'd think that the Church would be like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be paying for forgiveness. No, that didn't happen at all. In fact, by 1521, uh, four years later, uh, Luther was excommunicated from the Church. And uh, they wanted to burn him for heresy. And that's when things really got going. With that in mind, uh, I'd like to take a look at our text today. This is Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Don't judge so that you won't be judged. I, I've translated this to get really, like, this is the, the it's actually very close to the, the, the Greek text, but it's designed to really hit home to, if you were sitting there uh, listening to Jesus, this is how this would sound to you. Um, and so forgive me if it doesn't sound like some traditional translations. Don't judge so that you won't be judged. You will be judged the same way you judge others. Whatever you deal out will be dealt out to you. How is it that you see the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the two-by-four in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye, when look, there's a two-by-four in your eye? You phony, you fake, you hypocrite. First take the two-by-four out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That first part, don't judge, that gets wielded quite a bit these days. It's like, yo, you can't judge me, man. Don't judge me. You know, we are living in a culture where it's like it's wrong to do any judging. If you're doing any judging, you're a bad person. If you look at the text, though, really what's going on is Jesus is actually pointing out a kind of cycle that we get into. Anytime that we're in a community of people, right? Anytime there's a community of people, like a church or a government or a town or whatever, or even a family, what happens is people very quickly sort themselves into a pecking order, right? And everybody kind of knows, oh, this is the person who's at the top. This is the person who's at the bottom, Right? Or at least I think, you know, we all tend to think that we're at the top of the heap. Um, We're maybe not. But when we are, when we feel like we are, we tend to look around and we say, man, this place would be a whole lot better if everyone were just like me. And I feel like the reason your guys' lives are terrible is that you haven't figured things out the way I've figured them out. Right? Look, you know, I wake up at five in the morning, I go to work, I crank it out, I make a bunch of money, um, I, you know, I... I'm nice to my, my, my wife and my kids. I, I've got it figured out. You, you're, you're, you're lazy, and you don't know how to treat your wife right, and you can see how this works. If you were living like me, then your life would be good too. And so why can't you just figure that out? Well, what Jesus says is he says when you start living that way, when you start holding people um, to your own standards, and what interesting thing that happens is that the people that you're judging, A, they know that you're judging them, and B, they're like, yeah, you're not that great. You're not that cool. In fact, yeah, I might be like not waking up at 5 in the morning or whatever, like every day like you do, but man, I sure am nice to people, and I'm certainly not obsessed with money like you are. You greedy jerk, and you're like, wake up earlier and work harder and make more money. And they're like, why are you so obsessed with cash, son? Like if you if you start living more like me, then maybe maybe you would be uh, more people would like you, and you wouldn't be so high and mighty all the time. What happens is you start to judge them by your standards, and guess what? They do the same thing. They judge you by their standards. This is the second thing in your note sheet. When that happens, you are always found wanting. There's a cycle of judgment and, and, and that, that, that goes on where the people at the top, and you can see this is exactly what Luther was experiencing. The priests were like, man, especially the, the wealthy people who could afford indulgences, were like, get off your butt, get to work. This at the time was the beginning really of, of uh, the middle class was starting to, was about to happen. It was kind of forming, um, especially in Germany. And so there's these wealthy merchants who are like, why can't you get your act together? And then the poor people are like, you don't know me, man. And why are you so obsessed with cash all the time? There's this cycle of judgment and judging that goes on. It's not that they're going to hold you to your standard, because guess what? By your own standard, you're kind of a decent human being. Isn't that cool how our standards work? Have you ever noticed this? The standards that you set for yourself, when you follow them, you kind of like, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm great. It's when we start to live by other people's standards that we don't quite measure up. And then the text, Jesus says, he says... How is it that you see the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the two-by-four in your own? I say two-by-four, it's cheeky, I know, but it really is. I mean, this is the word that was used. Jesus was a carpenter, and he's using the word for, hey, a plank that you would use to build something. It really it didn't have two-by-fours, of course, but they did have large planks you build buildings with, and this is what he's talking about. Come here. Come here, you dirty dog. I missed you. I'm gonna take my glasses off because otherwise this won't work. Doug, I've been noticing. I was sitting there. I couldn't focus on the worship because I was noticing that you've got something in your eye. What is it? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like a speck or something. Let me let me get that out for you. Hey, dude, dude, you got to get closer, man. I can't. I can't quite get it. If you're, you're there's a problem that here. Hurts a bit. Does it hurt? Really. Well, it's gonna hurt until I get that speck out, man. <laughs> I you're having a problem here. Thank you, Douglas. Do you notice um, what's going on there? Jesus is being cheeky, but he's bringing something out. When, you're, um, when, you, when you've got a problem, when you're not living up to a standard, when there's something that's wrong with you, when you, when you start to impose that on other people, you hurt them. You're not helping them at all. In fact, what happens is not only do you start to hurt them, you lose all credibility in their eyes. They say, dude, I have no time for you because what you're doing is ridiculous and I'm sick of being oppressed by you and your holiness and whatever it is you think you've got figured out. It's smacking me in the face. And Luther saw that. He saw... All these people being told that they're no good and that they've got to work harder and be more holy so they don't sin too much, so they can get out of purgatory or whatever. And he's and he's seeing all that, and all he sees is the people, the, the the clerics and the priests and the rich you know wagging their fingers, and he just sees somebody literally like smacking a person with a just a big board, like right in the face. How is this helpful? And think about that. Think about what it would be like, right? I mean, to, to, to see somebody who's acting like that towards you, and maybe you've actually experienced this, the last thing you're going to do is take anything they say seriously. Even if you do have a speck or something in your eye, the last thing you're going to want to do is fix it. We have the next slide. The problem here is that when we start slapping people in the face with our two-by-four, you know, it's like a Braveheart. Has anyone seen that movie? It's been a long time, but uh, I think I remember a part in Braveheart where um, there's a guy who gets shot through the leg with, a, with an arrow, and uh, the battle is over, and they're like, hey, man, you got this arrow in your leg, we're going to take it out. And he's like, no, nah, I'm good. Why don't you just cut it off? That, don't, don't mess with that arrow. That, that looks like it's going to be really painful. Imagine, Imagine that something had happened, such that you literally had a two-by-four lodged in your face. If that actually happened, and I, I would suggest Jesus is inviting us to kind of think about it, imagine how painful that would be to get that thing out. Like, he's like, just leave it in, man, just cut it off, just leave in the arrow, and I'll be fine. They're like, no, no, if we do that, things, you, you could get infected, you might die. Similarly, he's like, yeah, but if you take it out, I'm going to pass out at least and maybe bleed out. Imagine the, the two-by-four. Imagine trying to take that out. That's really dangerous. In the text, it, it says, uh, why, why do you uh, see the speck and not notice the log in your own eye? Don't You don't even see it. You don't notice it. You, you don't recognize that there's a two-by-four sticking out of your face. How do you miss that? Well, it's because human beings have an infinite capacity for self-delusion because we're really, really good at ignoring things that we don't want to know about ourselves. So good, in fact, that we're smacking Doug in the face trying to fix him. And then when someone points it out and we're like, oh yeah, take this thing out, Martin Luther puts the 95 thesis, he's like, hey, let's stop charging money for forgiveness. And they're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to take that log out, I don't know if I want to get rid of that board. It might really hurt economically. It might really hurt. um, It might disrupt the system that we've got going that's really great for me. I really don't know if that's a good idea. I think maybe, if anything, we'll just shave it off and just leave it. And that's because most would rather keep the two-by-four than go through the pain and humiliation of ripping it out. Luther was 33 when he... um, post the 95 theses. You know, he was hot. He was under the collar. But it's funny, you can, as you're reading it, you, you, you recognize he's getting angrier and angrier the farther he goes. He starts out, he's like, hey, repentance should be free. You should just have to change your heart. And by the end, he's like, what is going on? We need to stop this. He's getting so mad. And he thinks it's a no-brainer, right? It should be a no-brainer. This, this should be the simplest thing, but it turns out when you, start to like, when you start to recognize what's going on and you start to think about taking that log out, it, you recognize how painful it's going to be, how it's going to disrupt everything, and you're like, no, nah, I better leave it in because if, because if I try to take this out, I might die. I might lose everything I've got. You like that show, Fixer Upper? <laughs> no. Spoken like a true man. Yeah, see, this is the same house, right? And I love this. I love this transformation. Part of it is they just, you know, they just cut the trees away. That's a huge deal. Get rid of those trees so you can see how awesome the house is. But then they add in the windows, fresh coat of paint. I mean, that's glorious. I got an interior one that I really like. Oh, yeah. That was your house. Don't you love the couch that's just sitting there? like was that how we were living <laughs> like let's let's have a nice evening on the couch honey <laughs> uh, and then and then you can see that like they uh, they knocked it back this is a show it's on HGTV um when when I used to let my wife control the television we had to watch it a lot um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it got me thinking. It got me thinking. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about this reformation and this, this uh, two-by-four thing. Thinking, how do, how do you get to the point where you're ready to like, get a full-blown renovation in your home? I mean, the last thing I would want would be to have a project like that begin. Like, just imagine the, the, the stress. And like, Has anyone ever done a home renovation project? I mean, and you're still like, how are you still married? Like, that's amazing. I can't believe that people do that But listen to what Jesus says. He he says, You phony, first take the two-by-four out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's like, okay, let's just get to the point where we're willing to just try and get it out. This, to me, is sort of like when you finally acknowledge there's something wrong with your home. The honey-do list has gotten so long, you're like, ugh, right, I... By the way, just plug for Tom, uh, I changed the windshield wipers on Aaron's car yesterday. Thank you. Yeah, real, real great moment in manhood. It's cool. It's really cool. hmm Let's just imagine. So I don't obviously I have no experience with this, but um, I, I've I've noticed that in my parents' home, whenever major renovations take place, it always begins because there's like a little leak in the bathroom, and uh, and they're like, oh, we got to check out that leak, and so the plumber comes out and he's like, oh yeah, that's a slab leak. Don't worry, we're gonna get it fixed. And he like drills down. I don't know what a slab leak is, but I imagine it's terrible. He like drills down. He's like, oh, bad news. Your entire foundation has been rotted to the core. We're just going to have to burn this thing down and <laughs> rebuild it. Sorry. You're like, hey, AAA. So, bad news. Um, this is covered, right? It's like you start, you start with this little thing. It seems like a no-brainer. seems like it should be easy to fix. Uh, and then as you, start to, as you start to deal with it, you realize, no, that's actually a 2x4 in your eye. And really what it's going to take to fix this is like a complete and total revamping of everything. It starts out, oh, just a little trickle. Then it's a slab leak. Then it's, oh, the foundation's rotted. You, oh, yeah, we can just get that, that two-by-four out. Oh, wait, no, it's like actually impact, impacting your eye, your brain, uh, your skull, and we're going to have to have major surgery in order to get this thing out without killing you. Luther saw the same thing. He thought it was a little leak. Hey, we're abusing the poor. And then he started to get into it, started to think about it. What is it going to do? What are we what do we got to do to change this? And suddenly he realized that wow, the reason that the poor is being are being abused is because there's a confusion about what repentance is. There's a confusion about what forgiveness is. There's a confusion about what sin is, what human beings are, what salvation is. There's a confusion about what the scriptures say. There is a confusion, a deep rotting confusion all throughout the church. And that's why the culture is falling apart. I'm wondering if the same thing hasn't happened in the West, in North America specifically, in our churches. If something similar is going on where there's a deeply rooted problem and if we just started tugging at the right threads we'd be like, oh my gosh everything underneath is in trouble. And if we really want to see a change it's gonna, we're going to have to do some serious digging some major surgery. Not easy to get that thing out. Um The next thing on your note sheets is that I think the church is a fixer upper. And I think the next Reformation will begin with basic repairs. I think that there's a corruption very, very deep in the church. And I'm not exactly sure what it is. I have a few suggestions we'll talk about in a second. Places, threads we can start to pull. But my my, my sense sense is that the reason that the culture seems to be so far gone, the reason that families seem to be disintegrating, the reason that there's this massive cultural divide, I believe that there's something deeply wrong with the church. And I believe the next reformation is needed. And in order to do that, we need to notice the big two by four and then start the hard work of trying to get it out. So if I were going to do like a honey-do list for the big C church in the West, you know, are, here's are some things we should start talking about. We, we have a hard time talking about these things, but we really should. Number one would be sex. Yes. The kids are here, so I won't be talking about sex. But I wonder, do you think it's strange? Do you think it's strange that uh, the way we kind of message to children in this culture about sex is something like, hey, um, chastity is like super important. You know, wait till you're married. And as soon as you get married, it's going to be awesome because sex is fun. So just hold off. Just just wait for it, you know. And then and you just be, be, use a lot of, again, you're just going to wait until the, the do, you, do you ever wonder if maybe there's more to sex than that? Do you wonder how that, how that sounds to kids? I mean, I know because I, I've, I've looked at the statistics and I won't um, terrify you with them, but the statistics are terrible when it comes to uh, Christian chastity. Just the ability of, of Christian young folks to um, have a modicum of self-control and, uh, and kind of embody classical sexual ethics. It's tragic. And I'm wondering... I'm wondering if if maybe that's something that if we started picking at it and digging underneath, we might find some terrible rot. We might find that we've been missing the point on sex. We're we're so missed the point, we're, we're scared to even talk about it. And that there's a deep theology there of what it is for human beings to engage in sexual intimacy that we're unable to communicate to each other and to our kids. And as a result, guess where they're getting their messaging from? Hollywood. Yeah, and those guys haven't figured out. Uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but um, I have. And the last person I want telling my kids about sex is Harvey Weinstein. Because that guy doesn't know anything about it. What about Orthodoxy and Ecumenism? One of the sad things about uh, the Reformation is that it began this massive splintering of the church to the point that um, we're fighting constantly amongst ourselves. This church is better than that church. You guys have this right, you guys have that wrong. And and I don't want to suggest that orthodoxy is not important. It is. We've got to stick to the, and there's all these churches where like, let's just jettison, you know, classical Christian teaching about, amongst other things, sex and money and the divinity of Jesus Christ. Throw it all out. Who cares? We just want to be, you know, relevant. No, that's awful. So we've got, on on one side, we've got a, a part of the church that wants to just assimilate, so we're no different than the culture at all. And then on the other side, we have a church that says, if it's not my way, it's the highway. There's no room for disagreement. And if you're not on board, your church is fake, and you need to get out of there. I wonder what that looks like to the culture at large when they see us doing that stuff, when we don't even have the courage to stick to our guns on the essentials and then we fight amongst ourselves constantly and shoot each other in the face. I wonder what happens when we start tugging on that thread and wonder if maybe there's a rot beneath. Number three, numbers and influence. I, this is important to talk about because you know that I've been messaging. Like, we, I really want to see us grow. I do. I, I, I want to see our church grow. Um, and, and the primary reason for that is because I believe we've got something here that is really special. And I want to see that spread. But one of the things that, stru- that strikes me about our culture at large is that, that numbers seem to become like this, this, um, this cipher for influence and for power. It's like, oh, you know, if you've got Christian Disneyland going on, then, then you're the guy and you've got it all figured out and that must be the right thing because where all the people are, that's where, the, that's where they've got it, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's it. And so we, there, there's, there's movements in the church to just whatever we've got to do to pack the pews. I'm sorry. We don't do pews anymore. They're modular seating, um, which I'm in favor of, by the way. And I know the Glenn's mad about it and we're not ever going to do it, but if we did, that's what I, w- I would favor. There's studies. Just, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, like think about that. It's like, it's like, oh, well, the whole point is just to get a whole bunch of people together and then everyone will know we're serious. Really? I wonder, gosh, I wonder if the culture looks at that and like, wait, how, how is that different from, like, you know, Disney? They seem to want to pack the park too. Just something to think about. Scratch it. I don't know. These, these are just suggestions. Number four, the Bible. One of the things I've noticed is that there's increasing pressure on churches to stop teaching the Bible. Because the Bible, it's true, can be very boring. You know, you get to like, Lamech, son of Hashapheth, son of You know, Yeah, I get that. That's a little hard to, hard to write a sermon about that. I get it. But I think that there may be, maybe we're, we're moving in a culture in such a way that we're like, hey, the culture is all about short attention, short attention spans and being entertained, and, all that. and and we should do that too, right? Because that's, that's what God's about. He's about entertaining people, right? Um, or, or maybe the culture is looking at us and being like, you don't even take your own book seriously. If you guys really believed that, you'd be willing to spend time with it. You'd be willing to try and understand it. But it turns out that ears like to be tickled. And let it never be said that I'm not like, I, I am trying to make it relevant and interesting. I don't want to put you to sleep. I mean, there are a couple of you that are asleep every Sunday. I get that. I can't win you over. Uh, but I, 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 I'm really, I really do want to make it relevant and, and interesting and incisive and, and, and all of that. Um, but I also recognize that, you know what? There's some stuff that's hard to understand in the Bible. It's hard to get to. And people, maybe we need to double down on the fact that we're willing to figure that stuff out and work with it. And maybe if we looked at the church and started scratching underneath the surface, we'd recognize that there's a whole lot of Christians who know a whole lot of nothing about the Bible. The bottom line is this. I have number five here. Number five is question mark. I don't know. I don't even know if those four are right. Those are just some things that I think about. What I do know and what I'm I'm convinced of, based on uh, what Luther experienced and what Jesus teaches, is that Reformation starts with repair. It starts at home. It starts in-house. And I would like us as a congregation to be thinking about what are the repairs that we've got to make? And if we begin making those, those repairs together in our own families, in our own community, then, and maybe if other uh, communities are doing the same thing, then maybe there will be a trickle-from-the-bottom-up effect, a, a kind of a grassroots thing that can, that can really make an impact on the culture. Well, people will look at, look at us and be like, yeah, this is really serious. They really are willing to do hard things to help those fatherless kids in Haiti. And I think what's dangerous... Is it maybe, maybe we've got some two-by-fours that are so deeply stuck that we're not willing to take them out. And man, I would hate to think that Coast Bible Church was on the wrong side of the next Reformation. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you. Um, Thank you for the legacy of the Reformation. Um, drawing the church, the whole church, back to Scripture, back to faith. Drawing the church back to its, its fundamentals, its basics. Father, I pray that we, um, that we be attentive, that we notice if maybe there's a two-by-four in our own eyes. That maybe we look for the places that need some repairs, we have the courage to take those things on, the grace um, for each other to, to bring them about. God, I ask for you to send your spirit to the church in the West, the church in North America, the church in Orange County, the church here at Coast, and stir up those deep repairs that lead to big renovations that can change the culture, that can give hope to a place that's increasingly lost. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for their hearts and their love for you and their desire to see your kingdom, to see your name glorified, your kingdom expand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.